Pastors Larry and Tiz Huck welcome you to another Larry Huck Ministries podcast. We pray this teaching will fill you with God's wisdom, anointing, and revelation knowledge. Thank you for your prayers and faithful support. Open your Bibles up this, this morning to the book of Revelations. It may take me a little while to get there. We've been studying Revelations 21. We've been studying about heaven. And, uh, you know, we've studied what we're going to be doing in heaven. Heaven is going to be anything but boring. We, we will be ruling and reigning with the Lord. Uh, we'll have jobs to do. We'll have work to do. And I think a little bit of what we're going to teach today will explain how that's even possible. We've talked about being with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Peter, James, and Paul. And we've talked about, um, I I love the the concept that with near-death experience, people who have come back from seeing heaven, 95% of those, the first people they met were family members. 5% of those they met were friends. And Today, we want to go a little bit further, and actually, this is going to be the last day that we're going to talk about heaven in this series, but I want you to think about some of the things that we've been talking about. If you remember, um, if you remember the, the story I told about Tiz's mother, that we were pastoring in Australia, and all during the night, I kept waking up with a nightmare, and I saw someone, I just saw a whirlpool going down and then right at the end right before dawn uh this person cried out to god and and the hand of god reached in the whirlpool and snatched him out and when i went back to bed for like the fifth or sixth time tis says well what's going on i said whatever it is that person's been saved or you know we didn't know what it was and then we found out that that whole time that i was having that nightmare tis's mom was pinned in an automobile accident. And this nurse told Tiz at the funeral that your mom was, we, we pronounced your mom dead, and then about 45 minutes later, 40 minutes later, whatever it is, we heard and we went back in, and she said, tell Tiz I'll be all right. And she said, Gwen, no, you're, you're in really bad shape. And she goes, I know that, I know that. But tell Tiz I'll be all right. She'll know what I mean. And later, Tiz said, went back up to the nurse and said, what time did this happen? And it was at the exact same moment that I saw the hand of God reach down, the person cry out and reach down and snatch this person up into heaven. You know, I got a letter, just a beautiful letter this week from a couple from Australia who just started being our partners on the program. And they said it reminded them of when their daughter Jody was sick and Jody was going through some very severe health problems and her dad her mom the mom and dad were at church and the dad went down to pray and all of a sudden while he's praying he hears this voice in his spirit dad I'm gonna be okay and they found out later that that very moment Jody went to be with the Lord when you think about my my niece Layla and and Layla at four years old went to went to be with the Lord and for a year and Layla's favorite color was purple and for a year 
Every time they took a family picture, there was a purple dot in that picture. It didn't matter who took it on a phone, uh, uh, with a camera, somebody took it, they took it. There was a purple dot either over the head of the family or on the heart of one of the members of the family. God's saying, you know what? I've got her in the palm of my hand. And when you think of this, you look at this. Why does God do these things? Why does God allow us to hear these testimonies? And why does God allow us to see these things? And why does God allow us to feel these things? And I couldn't help but think of the words of Jesus where he wrote in John 16:33. Jesus said, these things I have spoken to you, that in me you might have peace. And in the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. And there's no greater way of overcoming the world than knowing that when a loved one, someone we, we, we miss so much is in the hands of the Lord, or that someday you and I, because every one of us, unless the rapture takes place, every one of us is either going to be raptured or we're going to die someday. You can't, avo- you can't avoid that. But the Bible says that God gives us a peace that passes all understanding. And you know, I, 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 you know, unfortunately, as a pastor for many, many years, I've seen many, many babies born, and I've done a lot of funerals. And there seems to be this ongoing theme amongst true believers that even though they're missing this loved one, mom or dad or son or daughter or grandma or grandpa, whoever it is, but there's a peace that surpasses understanding. And that's a peace that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And so we've talked about these things and we've shared stories with people who have gone through these things. But today I want to look at one last thing. Maybe we all know someday if we're believers, we'll be in heaven. But maybe you've already had someone go to heaven before you. Where are they really? What are they seeing? What are they experiencing? What's going on every moment around them? You know, one of the great preachers of all times, his name was Smith Wigglesworth. And Smith Wigglesworth, I believe his, his, if I remember the story right, I believe his wife's name was Polly. And they talk about how much Smith loved Polly. But one day she died. And they came and got him, and by the time he got to where she was, or they brought her to him in, in his home, she'd been dead for quite a while. And they said he fell on his knees, and he, and he began to cry out to God and beg God to bring her back and beg God not to take her. Now, she'd been gone for several hours. The sheet was over. And as he's kneeling by her, people's hearts are breaking because they can feel the sadness in his heart. And he's praying, God, bring her back. And all of a sudden, her hand comes out under the sheet, grabs the sheet and pulls it down. Now, I don't know about you. I'd become a believer at that moment. She sits up and says, Smith, why'd you call me back? He goes, I don't think I can carry on. She goes, Smith, let me tell you, I'm going back. She said, you've talked about it, you've preached about it, but she said, you have no idea what heaven's really like. She said, I've seen it, and I love you, but I'm going back. 
And he said, okay. She laid down, he covered up, and he went on to keep on preaching. She saw heaven and said, it is beyond anything you've ever talked about. It is more beautiful than any sermon you've ever preached. And so today I want to look at taking a glimpse of heaven. What is it really like? Let's say you have someone that's gone to be with the Lord. What is it really like where they're at? And I think you'll find it fascinating when we look at the limited descriptions, the glimpses we get in the Bible. And, and the Bible gives us some amazing glimpses of what heaven is like. But in reality, the Bible says, even though we have this glimpse and we can imagine this and we can picture this and we can read stories about it, the Bible says, eye is not seen, ear is not heard, and neither can it enter into the hearts of man what God has prepared for us. Now, I've, I've had the privilege of traveling all over the world, and I have seen some amazing things that take place. Right now, they're building a building in, uh, in uh, one of the Arab countries, in the Arab immigrants, and I think it's 3,500 feet tall. And they say it's, un, the, the, it's magnificent. But you take that and you realize somebody thought this up. Somebody thought of all the features and all the amazing things in there. And yet when it comes to heaven, eye is not seen, ear is not heard, neither has it entered in the heart of man. The things that God has prepared for those that love him. I want to read one story about a man who went to heaven. And there's so many, but listen to his definition and understand not only is this is where we're going, but if you have someone that has passed away, a grandma, grandpa, mom, a dad, a husband, a wife, a son or a daughter, a cousin, a nephew, a friend, they're already right now while we're sitting here experiencing what this guy saw. Listen to this story. It says Captain Dale Black has logged 17,000 hours flying around the globe as a commercial airline pilot. And during that time, he has also volunteered on almost 1,000 flights to 50 countries building orphanages, medical clinics, and churches in order to share God's love with people in need. Captain Black says that his motivation comes from a horrible airline accident and what he saw that literally changed his life. Dale had always dreamed of being a commercial pilot, and by 19, he had already had his pilot's license. Chuck and Gene, commercial pilots who had taken Dale under their wings, kindly let Dale fly with them on delivery runs across California to log more hours. One faithful day, the three of them took off in a twin-engine piper into a clear Los Angeles sky. Gene throttled to maximum takeoff power, but suddenly they found themselves airborne at abnormally slow speed. Unable to clear the tops of the trees, Gene veered off directly into a 75-foot-high aviation monument. The plane disintegrated as the three pilots smashed into the stone edifice at 135 miles per hour. 
and then plunged 75 feet to the ground. Only Dale survived, sort of. The last thing I remember, he says, was the side of Chuck's hands on the controls, violently wrenching the flight controls fully left and fully back. Suddenly, I found myself suspended in midair, hovering over the wreckage of my own body. My gray pants, my short sleeve shirt were torn to shreds and soaked in blood. I sped through what seemed to be a narrow pathway. It wasn't a tunnel of light that I was traveling through. It was a path in the darkness that was surrounded by the light. Outside of this pathway was total darkness. But in the darkness, millions of tiny spheres of light zoomed past as I traveled through what seemed to be like deep space, almost as if a jet were flying through a snowstorm at night. At this time, I became aware that I was not traveling alone. Accompanying me were two angelic escorts dressed in seamless white garments woven with silver threads. They had no discernible gender, but appeared masculine and much larger than I. Remarkably, my peripheral vision was enhanced, and I could see both of their glowing faces at the same time. I could even see behind me while hardly moving my head. I was fast approaching a magnificent city, golden and gleaming amongst a myriad of colors. The light I saw was the purest I'd ever seen. The music was the most majestic, enchanting, and glorious that I had ever heard. I was still approaching the city, but now I was slowing down. And like a plane making its final approach for landing, I knew instantly that this place was entirely and utterly holy. Don't ask me how I knew. I just knew it. I was overwhelmed by its beauty. It was breathtaking. And a strong, strong sense of belonging filled my heart. I never wanted to leave. Somehow I knew that I was made for this place. And this place was made for me. The entire city was bathed in light. An opaque whiteness in which the light was intense but diffused. In that dazzling light, every color imaginable seemed to exist. What's the right word? I played. The colors seemed to be alive. The colors were dancing in the air. I had never seen so many different colors. It was breathtaking just to watch. And I could have spent forever doing just that. The closer I got to the city the more distinct the illumination became. The magnificent light I was experiencing emanated from about 40 to 50 miles within the city wall, from a focal point that was brighter than even the sun. Oddly, it didn't make me squint when I looked at it. And all I wanted to do was look at this light. The light was palpable. 
It had substance to it, weight and thickness, like nothing I'd ever seen before or I've ever seen since. The light from a hydrogen bomb is the closest I can come to describing it. Somehow I knew that light and life and love were connected and interrelated. Remarkably, the light didn't shine on things, but it shined through them. Through the grass, through the trees, through the walls, and through the people who were gathered there. There was a huge gathering of angels and people, millions, countless millions. They were gathered in a central area that seemed over 10 miles in diameter. The expanse of people was closer to an ocean than a concert hall. Waves of people moving in the light, swaying to the music, worshiping God. Somehow the music in heaven calibrated everything, and I felt that nothing was in a rush. I was outside the city, slowly moving towards its wall, suspended a few hundred feet above the ground. I'm not sure how I knew directions there, but I had a strong sense almost magnetic sense that it was northwest, which meant I was approaching the city from the southeast. A narrow road led to an entrance in the wall, which led into the city. I moved effortlessly among the road, escorted by my two angelic guides on what seemed to be a divine schedule. Below me lay the purest, most perfect grass, precisely the right length, and not a blade was bent or even out of place. It was the most vibrant green that I'd ever seen. If a color can be said to be alive, the green I saw was alive, slightly transparent and emanating light and life from within each blade. The iridescent grass stretched endlessly, over gently rolling hills upon which was sprinkled the most colorful wild flowers, lifting their soft petal beauty skyward, almost as if they were a chorus of flowers caught up in their own way of praising God. The fragrance that permeated heaven was so gentle and so sweet, I almost didn't notice it amid all there was to see and to hear. But as I looked at the delicate, perfect flowers and the grass, I wanted to smell them. And instantly I was aware of a gentle aroma. As I focused, I could tell the difference between the grass and the flowers and the trees and even the air. It was all so pure and intoxicating and blended together in a sweet and satisfying scent. In the distance stood a range of mountains, majestic in appearance, as if they reigned over the entire landscape. These were not mountains you wanted to conquer. These were mountains you wanted to revere. The road was only wide enough for two people and followed the contours of the hills. Then it began sloping upward towards the huge wall 
that encircled the city. Next, I heard the faint sound of water rushing in the distance. I couldn't see the water, but it sounded as if it were rivers cascading over a series of small waterfalls, and they were creating music that was constantly changing. Between the central part of the city and the city's walls were groupings of brightly colored, picture-perfect homes in small, quaint towns. Each home was customized and unique from the others, yet blended harmlessly, harmoniously. Some of the three or four stories, and some were even higher. There were not two that were the same. If music could become homes, it would look like these beautifully built and perfectly balanced. The city wall stretched out to my left and to my right as far as I could see in both directions. A powerful light permeated the wall, and you could see all the colors of the rainbow inside it. Strangely, whenever I moved, the colors moved ever so slightly as if sensing my movement and making adjustment to me. My eyes were next drawn to a river that stretched from the gathering area in the middle of the city to the wall. It flowed toward the wall and seemed to end there, at least from my vantage point. The river was perfectly clear with a bluish-white hue. The light didn't shine on the water, but mysteriously shone within it somehow. The flowers in heaven fascinated me. Again, a delightful and delicate balance between diversity and unity. Each was unique, yet all were one. And they were beautiful, so beautiful to behold. Each petal, each leaf illuminated with that glorious light and added just the right splashes of color to the velvety expanse of the green grass. As I described previously, the grass, the sky, the walls, the houses, everything was more beautiful than I ever dreamed anything could possibly be. Even the colors, they were the richer, they were richer, deeper than any colors I have ever seen in the furthest reaches of the earth or in the most fantastic dreams. Everything was so vibrant, and everything, everything pulsated with life. That's where your loved ones are right now if they've gone before you. Now, even when we read this, the Bible says, eye is not seen, ear is not heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man. The things that God has prepared. With our limited ability to read and try to understand what people saw. And, 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 and there, there's over, in one book, there's over a thousand different experiences that people have. And when they talk about the city, all of them say the same thing. I had a dear friend whose father died and came back to life. And he told us, he said, the trees were singing. The flowers were singing. The grasses were singing. We can't imagine. Now, it's sad to think that maybe we've lost someone. But can you imagine what Smith Wigglesworth's wife meant when she said, Smith, you've preached about it. But I've seen it. 
I'm going back. This is the most amazing place than we can ever imagine. Now, the next thing I want to look at very briefly is that when we get to heaven or maybe someone who's passed away, the Bible says that we get a new body. There's no sickness. There's no tears. There's no pain. There's no suffering. Listen to what Jesus said in Luke 24, 39. He said, behold my hands and my feet, that it's me, myself. Handle me and see me, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. The disciples had just seen Jesus go through terrible, terrible day. We know the Via Dolorosa. We know they beat him. We know they nailed him to a cross. We know they shoved the spear in his side. They ripped his flesh from his body, pulled his beard. But when he was resurrected, they saw him and they were amazed at what they're seeing. And he said, no, no, touch me. I'm a real person. Touch me because I'm not just a spirit. And that's what we've, we, I think is so amazing to think about that maybe you've lost someone or Maybe you've had someone go to heaven before you, and they're not just a cloud or a spirit floating around. They're real. They're as real as I am. They're as real as you are. And I know I say this over and over again. You will still be you, and they will still be them, but there won't be any sickness. There won't be any pain. There won't be any blindness. There won't be any cancer. There won't be any suffering. They will have a real body that is absolutely perfect when they get to heaven. That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, and I think it's so important. He said, touch me. Feel me. They're looking at him like, are you a ghost? He said, feel me. I'm not a spirit. I'm a real being. Little Layla's up there and she's playing. She's a real, she's doing whatever kids are doing up there. She's having a blast. She's in the presence of the Lord. She's in the most beautiful place. And someday mom and dad will see her and she'll be a real person and they'll be a real person. What a comfort. What a peace that passes all understanding is that we will see them again and they will see us. We see when Jesus was resurrected, and I think it's almost almost humorous as I was writing it down, the disciples were having a hard time. And so Jesus, to prove that he wasn't just the spirit, he ate with the disciples twice. Look at what he says in Luke 24. He showed them his hands and his feet. But while they still not, did not believe for joy, they were, oh, can this be real? And marveled, he said to them, have you any food here? So they gave him a piece of broiled fish and some honeycomb, and he took it and ate with them in their presence. Another time he meets them in John, was it John, John 21? And he said, hey guys, let's have breakfast. And I love the, 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 the lightness of this because it, it's a real life. It's not, it's not, we're some smoke floating around in some atmosphere. We're real people walking in the most amazing place, seeing the most amazing things where the flowers and the trees and the grass are singing, where light is coming through everything. But we're real people. You and I will have dinner together, kosher. Notice he didn't have pork chops. 
No carnitas. We will be real people and the loved ones that we have will be real people. Jesus shows us this. I want to read this out of 2 Corinthians 5. And I usually read a a different translation, but this is the New Living Translation. Listen, Listen to what it says. For we know that when this earthly tent we live in is taken down, that is, we die and leave this earthly body, we will have a house in heaven, an eternal body, made for us by God himself and not by human hands. You know, I, I have to stop. I have to stop thinking. You know, I, I'm, trying to, I, I, I'm, I'm trying to lose weight, weight. And dieting is horrible. And everybody said, you know, you skinny people, shame on you. We're trying to keep our bodies healthy. There'll come a time we can eat anything we want. Deep fried chocolate chip ice cream cookie cake. And not gain a pound. Listen to what he says. Let me read it again. I, I, I just love this. For we know that when this earthly tent we live in is taken down, that is, we die and leave this earthly body, this earthly body, we will have a house in heaven. Not, uh, we'll have a house, but he's talking about a new body. An eternal body made for us by God himself, not by human hands. We grow weary in our present bodies, and we long to put on our heavenly bodies, like new clothing. For we will put on heavenly bodies, and we will not be spirits without bodies. While we live in these earthly bodies, we groan and sigh. But it is not that we want to die and get rid of these bodies that clothe us, rather We want to put on our new bodies so that these dying bodies, listen to how it ends, that these dying bodies will be swallowed up by life. Isn't that beautiful? These dying bodies will be swallowed up by life. You know, the whole time I'm doing this and Series. I think a lot about my niece Layla, who went at, uh, such a beautiful little girl. But the, her whole four years, she was sick, and they were putting needles in her, and and you know, just going through what sick kids have to go through. But when she went, the moment she went, she had a new body. Never feel another needle. Never feel another bit of pain. Just heavenly bodies perfect and you and i have that promise that we'll be in bodies that are not made by us not trying to keep us healthy but these are these are bodies that are made by god made absolutely perfect let me let me read you this this is this is kind of a neat thing to understand that the moment a person goes, the, the millisecond a person is going from this temporary tent into their eternal body, there's no more, they're never ever pain again. Listen to this. 
Dr. Mary Neal, an orthopedic spine surgeon, was on a whitewater kayak trip in Chile when she plunged over a waterfall. The nose of her kayak lodged between two boulders, trapping her beneath a cascading torrent of water. Mary and her boat were completely submerged under 10 feet of rapids. She says, I very quickly knew that I was going to die. Mary told me that when I interviewed her about her near-death experience, in spite of the fact that she could feel the intense pressure of the water as she laid bent over at the waist, over the front of the kayak, her bones breaking, her ligaments tearing, she didn't panic. Listen to what she says. At that point, I completely surrendered the outcome to God's will. The moment I asked that God's will be done, I was immediately and very physically held by Jesus Christ and reassured that everything would be fine. I grew up in the water. I grew up swimming and boating and doing everything in the water. I loved the water, but still, I wa- loved the water still, but I'd always feared a drowning death. So the irony was not lost on me that I was drowning. I always thought that it would be terrific and frightening to die that way. But at no point did I have any fear. I never felt air hunger, never felt panic. Now I'm a spine surgeon, and I certainly tried to do those things that would free me or free the boat. But yet I felt great. I felt more alive than I have ever felt. The very moment I turned to him, I was overcome with an absolute feeling of calm, of peace, and of the very physical sensation of literally being held in his arms. I knew with absolute certainty that I was being held and comforted by Jesus, which was initially surprising as I'm just an ordinary person. But at the same time, I understood perfectly how Jesus could be there holding and comforting me and would similarly be present for every other person who called for his help at the exact same time anywhere in the world. As Jesus held her, he took Mary through a review of her life. After 14 minutes underwater, Mary's body finally broke free from the kayak, and as she began to tumble through the rapids, she experienced a feeling of release. I quote, It felt as if I had finally shaken off my heavy outer layer, freeing my soul. Mary felt her soul break through the surface of the water, and rise above the river. In there, a welcoming committee, she likened to the great cloud of witness described in Hebrews 12, was there to joyously greet her. Quote, I was immediately greeted by a group of people, spirits, beings. I'm never really quite sure what word to use 
because those names mean different things to different people. They were wearing robes of a sort, but they were absolutely exploding with pure, pure love. It was a welcoming committee. I absolutely knew that they were there to welcome me, to greet me, and to make me feel love and comfort. They had, a physical, they had physical bodies. They had heads and arms and legs. And I knew without any doubt that I had known them and loved them as long as I existed. I knew that they knew me. And they loved me as long as I existed. It was joy at the very core level. My arrival was jealously celebrated. Uh, excuse me. My arrival was joyously celebrated, and a feeling of absolute love was palatable as these spiritual beings, and I hugged and danced and greeted each, as we hugged and danced and greeted each other. The intensity, the depth, and the purity of these feelings and sensations were far greater than I could ever describe with words and far greater than anything I have ever experienced here on earth. Now, don't get me wrong. I have been very blessed in my life. I have experienced great joy and love here on earth. I love my husband. I love each of my children with great, great intensity. It's just that God's world, the love is more colorful. The love is more intense. My companions and I began to glide along a path, and I knew that I was going home, to my eternal home. And as I was drinking in the beauty and rejoicing with my companions, I looked back at the scene on the river. My body, which after 14 minutes underwater, had now been recovered, but it looked like the shell of a comfortable old friend. And I felt warm compassion and gratitude for its use. I looked at Tom and his sons, who were close friends kayaking with me, and they seemed to be terribly sad and vulnerable. I heard them call to me and beg me, take a breath, take a breath. I loved them and did not want them to be sad. So I turned to my heavenly companions and asked them to wait while I returned to my body. And there I laid down and took another breath. The thing that moves me on that story is that even though her body was still here and she was still there, she was transitioning from this world to the next. She felt no pain. She felt no discomfort. She felt no, no fear. She felt no agony. And I thought, what a great way. God forbid that we ever sit in a hospital room or at home and we watch somebody going from this life to the next. But the amazing thing is, is that 
even while they're still there, God is already comforting them, removing the pain, removing the anxiety, removing the fear, and he's holding them in his arms. And God shows us these things to give us comfort. We know that heaven is an amazing place, but the thing I want you to realize is, is that if you've ever had a loved one that is sick and that loved one goes to heaven, understand that that loved one is healthy now, is whole now, will never, ever, 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 ever again feel any even discomfort because God gives us a body that is made in his hands. I only have a few more minutes, but I want to look at I want to ask you to turn with me to the book of Revelations. And the Bible talks about a new heaven, a new earth, and a new Jerusalem. And there's no way that I can teach on all this. The Bible says when we get into heaven, the worship is amazing. There, there are so many other things. But what does it mean when it talks about a new heaven, a new earth, and a new Jerusalem? Read with me in Revelations 21, starting with verse 1. And John says, And I saw a new heaven... And a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and also there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, a new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold the tabernacle or God's house, the tabernacle of God, or God's house is now with men and he will dwell or live with them and they shall be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. Now look at the next verse. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, no more sorrow, nor crying, and there shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Now, when, when I read this, I, I have to be honest with, in a little way, I was a, a little bit sad. You know, I've been to Israel, I think, 38 times now. And the thing that Pastor Scott and I love to do and our family loves to do is walk through Jerusalem. I've been through Jerusalem so many times, I, I know it better than, I, I, I never get lost. I know every, Scott and I have been there so many times, we know every road, every alleyway, every, and I think, man, that'll be gone. But then you read the definition of the new Jerusalem, and you go, yeah, this is a pretty good trade-off. It's going to be beyond amazing. Listen to what It says in Hebrews 11, Abraham was looking forward to a city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. You know, as much as I love going to Israel and much as I love being in Jerusalem and as much as I love looking at the architecture there, that architecture is made by man. But the new Jerusalem will be built by Almighty God himself. And I don't know if you noticed that. He said, I saw no tabernacle. 
He said, I saw no, no temple. Why? Because God's house is with us. God Almighty in the new Jerusalem. Remember the guy who said, I saw into the city a light emanating from that. That light is where God lives. And you and I will be living in this new Jerusalem, not only with the Lord, but with God the Father. Not only with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but with all of our friends and all of our family, we will be living in this new Jerusalem. Verse 16 says, God has prepared us a city. Hebrews 12 says, the city of the living God, a heavenly Jerusalem with thousands upon thousands of angels. Thousands upon thousands of angels. Imagine this city. Look, look with me in verse 9 of Revelation 21. Then one of the seven angels who had seven bowls filled with seven last plagues came to me and talked with me saying, come, I will show you the bride, the lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the great city. Remember in the one vision, the guy said he saw these mountains that were magnificent mountains John sees these mountains and God places him on these mountains and he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain showed me the great city the holy Jerusalem descending out of heaven from God having the glory of God and her light was like a most precious stone a jasper stone clear as crystal also she had a great and high wall with 12 gates and 12 angels at the gates and the names written on them, which are the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. Now, we're going to read something here that is hard to, un, hard to fathom. But that's why eye is not seen and ear is not heard, neither has it entered into the heart of, the, of those who love him. Look at verse 13. The gates on the east and three gates on the north, three gates on the south, three gates on the west. Now the wall in the city had 12 foundations and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. And he who had talked with me had a gold reed to measure, measuring tape. The city, its gates and its walls. The city is laid out as a square, and its length as great as its breadth. And he measured the city with the reed, 12,000 furlongs. Its length and breadth and height are equal. In other words, 12,000 furlongs long, 12,000 furlongs wide, 12,000 furlongs high. Then he measured its wall. 144 cubits according to the measure of a man that is of an angel. Now, if you were to take these words and break them down into how we would say them today, the new Jerusalem, not earth. Now, remember, there's a new heaven, new earth, new Jerusalem. Just the new Jerusalem, just the new Jerusalem will be 1,500 miles wide. 1,500 miles long and 1,500 miles high. 
That comes out to 2 million square miles on level one. 2 million square miles on level one. Now, let me read you something just to get your imagination going. This pastor was teaching this in a church in Australia, and one of the men in his church was a, uh, a mathematician, an architect, and he says these words, and the pastor talked about how big the New Jerusalem was. I quote, man, it's amazing. It's astounding. It beats everything I've ever heard of. John says that each of the walls of the city measure 12,000 furlongs. Now, if you work that out, it will give you an area of 2,250,000 square miles. 2,250,000 square miles. The only city four square that I've ever seen is Adelaide, South Australia. Now, we live there, and it is a square city. The ship that brought me out of the old country called in there for a couple days And I thought it a fine city. But as you know very well, the city of Adelaide covers only one square mile. Each of the four sides is a mile long. London covers an area of 140 square miles. But this city, the city four square, it is 2,250,000 times bigger than Adelaide. It is 15,000 times bigger, 15,000 times bigger than London. It is 20 times as big as the country of New Zealand. This is just the New Jerusalem. It is 10 times as big as Germany, 10 times as big as France. It is 40 times as big as all of England. It is ever so much bigger than India. Why it is an enormous continent just in itself, the New Jerusalem. I had no idea of it until I went to the figures with my blue pencil here. And then he goes on, but wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm not going to the matter of population. It is even more wonderful still. Look at this. Working it out on the basis of the number of people per square mile in the city of London, the population of the city four square, the new Jerusalem comes out to a hundred thousand million people. 70 times, 70 times the present population of the globe. No wonder eye has not seen, nor ear has heard, nor has it entered into the heart of man. Now look at verse 18, and I'm not going to get all these, these gems correctly. And the construction of its wall was jasper. The city was pure gold, like clear glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with all kinds of precious stones. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third chalcedony, the fourth Emerald, the fifth Sardonyx, the sixth Sardius, the seventh Chrysolite, not Crystalite, Chrysolite, the eighth Beryl, 
the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysophase, the eleventh jacinth, the twelfth amethyst, and the twelve gates were twelve pearls. Each individual gate was one pearl. How'd you like to wear that around your neck, ladies? And the street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. But I saw no temple in it. For the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. And the city had no need of the sun or the moon to shine in it. For the glory of God illuminated it and the Lamb is its light. The nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light and the kings of the earth bring their glory and honor into it. Its gates shall not be shut at all by day. There shall be no night there and they shall bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it. But there shall by no means enter it anything that defiles or causes abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. There'll be nothing allowed in it. There'll be nothing allowed in there. Where your loved ones are right now, there is nothing allowed in that presence that would bring a sad thought that would bring a tear, that would bring a bad feeling. The gates are never shut because there's nothing evil anywhere around. They're not afraid of the dark anymore because there is no dark because Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, is the light that shines forever and ever and ever, and it shines in everything and it shines through everything. You know, I think that when you read these things, I think of that song by you two. And I still haven't found what I'm looking for. And I still haven't found what I'm... No wonder we keep trying to get better cars and better homes. And there's nothing wrong with that. That is all fine. He's come to give us life and that life more abundant. But we get a new car and then it's old after a while. We get a new home and it's just, okay, it's home after a while. Why? Because we're not made for this world. This life is a vapor of smoke. It's here today and gone tomorrow. I'm looking for a city whose builder and maker is God. And that's in every one of us. And if we've lost someone, that is where they are waiting for us. And someday we will be there. We will be us. They will be them. And we will forever be in the presence of the light of God forever and ever and ever. Somebody say amen. You know, the one thing that, the one thing that really grabbed me in all of these stories, and, I, and, and it was, I'll be honest with you, it was hard, it was hard to pick out which stories to read in the, in the near-death experience stories. It was hard to pick out because they're all so amazing. But there's one thing that every, you know, some were met by angels immediately. 95% were met by family that had gone before them. 5% by friends. But one thing everybody saw, the light. Everybody saw the light. And that light is Jesus Christ. But the one thing that I read 
in almost every one of them is they were about to go in. I mean, they were, they were right there. One, one, uh, several of them said there was a crystal river that I was about to cross and I was stopped. Some said I was about to go in through the gate and I was stopped. Almost every one of them said that there was a boundary that they weren't allowed to cross. And over and over again, they said, because you have to go back, there's still work to do. And you know, when I read that, I thought about something that happened to me when I first got saved. Tiz and I weren't even married yet. There was a, uh, uh, I, had a I had a vision. I was praying and I was, had a vision. And in that, I saw something that really didn't make any sense to me until I read these stories. And this was 40-something years ago. I had some friends in the church, and, and my friend's wife, she is a friend of Tiz and I, even before we got married, they, they were kind of elders in the church. And she was an art student, re- really, really good artist. And she was at NAU, Northern Arizona University, and she told us that the teacher there never gave anybody anything above a C. He was very critical. And one day we were, we were fellowshipping, and I said, you know, I, I saw this thing. And what I saw was that I was in heaven. And behind me was a big mountain scene, big mountains. And she actually what I'm about to tell you, she actually did a painting of it and turned it in and the teacher gave her an A plus. And he said, I don't know why I'm doing this, but he said, and she didn't say anything about this was a dream. This was a, well, she titled it Larry's dream. And he goes, I just feel something. So what I, what she painted was that I was in heaven. And back then I had real long hair and I'm sitting there and I had one that, that went everywhere with me. I had, and I don't know why this is, I had a German shepherd and of all things is I named him Sabbath. <laughs> I have no idea where that came from. Honestly, I have no idea where that came from. Yeah, that's where it said Black Sabbath, but I wasn't a fan. <laughs> and I'm in heaven and I'm sitting there and Sabbath my my German shepherd is with me and there's a lion laying next to Sabbath. And I said, I'm sitting there and in, in this beautiful valley and these mountains behind me. And God comes and said, there's some who are, are getting ready to cross over the mountain. Your job is to tell them it's not their time. They can't come in yet. They have to go back. I have work for them to do. And I never, and I always thought, you know, and so she painted this, got an A plus, you know, Larry's dream. And, you know, and until I read these and I saw the repeated scenario of people about to come in. And then the one I read today of the mountains and people are starting to come in. She said, and your job is to tell them, not yet. There'll come a time, but they need to go back. There's still a job to be done. 
You know, the Bible says it's appointed unto every one of us to die. Someday, if we don't make the rapture, every one of us will die. But if God in his grace would give us a little more time, can I say to you, not yet. We've got a job to do. And I'll tell you, I don't think that job of telling people about the love of God, the grace of Jesus Christ, the mercy, I don't think that job has ever been more important in our world than it is right now. Someday, we will cross that mountain range. We will cross that crystal river. We will go through those gates, and we'll never want to come back. Smith, why'd you call me back? But my job is to say, not yet. We have a job to do. That job is to go ye into all the world and preach the good news. The good news is someday we will be in heaven. But the good news is, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's good news too. Can I have an amen? How many many are thankful that God has made a city that we will dwell in by the hands of Almighty God. Would you give the Lord a clap offering? I'd like to have every head bowed and every eye closed and no one looking around. Just, just, for, just for a minute. I want to read to you 1 Corinthians 15. Listen to the words of Paul. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trump will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written death is swallowed up in victory but thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus and all God's people said amen would you stand with me all over the building and I'm I'm not going to have I see that hand that hand that hand But I want you to understand this life is so short. Now I can I I, I love to teach he's come to give us life and that life more abundant. But this life is compared to forever and ever and ever is a vapor. It's gone. And someday we all, every one of us, every one of us here around the world we will all live forever don't you want to make heaven your home when jesus christ hung on the cross he said it is finished you know i i didn't plan it this way but it just came to my thinking it's not a coincidence that we're getting ready to celebrate passover we're getting ready to celebrate the resurrection of jesus we're getting ready to celebrate that he loves us so much that he died on the cross so we can have everlasting life. None of us will die. 
Someday I'm going to walk through those gates and I'm going to see Layla and I'm going to see Robert and I'm going to see my Aunt Helen and I'm going to see everybody. And you're going to see him too because he paid the price. Let's close our eyes and lift up our hands. Say these, these words out, out loud together. Father, I come to you right now in the name of Jesus. I know I've sinned. We've all sinned. But I know this. You love me so much. You sent Jesus Christ to pay the price in full for all my sin. Right now, I receive Jesus Christ as my Lord and my Savior. Now say this with authority. Satan, get out of my life. Get out of my home. Get out of my body. Get out of my spirit. Get out of my family, my finances, and my future. I declare in the name that's above every name. I am born again, child of God, walking in victory, more than a conqueror. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. If you receive that, give the Lord a clap offering. Amen.